Chapter 13, The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 13, A Closer Bond. Next day, as soon as she had the opportunity, Nona walked over to Madame Bonnet's. She had made an effort to see Barbara and try to awaken her interest in their little French acquaintance, but again Barbara had disappeared. But then she naturally had a good many things to attend to in connection with winding up the business connected with the entertainment of the night before, and Nona did not object to going to Madame Bonnet's alone. This was one of the things she had been fond of doing ever since her meeting with the splendid Frenchwoman. However, one could not expect the privilege often, for no one was so busy as Madame Bonnet, nor had the greater number of calls upon her time. Scarcely a soldier in the division located within her village but came to Madame Bonnet for advice or sympathy whenever anything went wrong. Nona was never to forget the morning of this day when so many strange things were to occur. It was a day caught between summer and early fall, with the beauty and fragrance of both. Moreover, in the French country, there is ever a curious appeal that only a few lands have. It is a sense of intimacy, a sense of nearness to nature, as if she were really the great mother, viewing birth and life and death with a wonderful patience, knowing that within her lie always the seeds and the garden of the new generations to come. Besides, Nona had brought Duke with her. He seemed to like to walk with her more than with anyone besides his mistress. But recently, Duke had been growing noticeably older and wore a look of noble depression, which one observes now and then in the aging of a fine dog. Nona went past Madame Bonnet's former home, which she had given up to the American officers. Only glancing up at the tower where she and the other nurses had seen their first American drill upon French soil, of course, Madame Bonnet had probably taken Jean and her soldier into her own tiny home, with herself and Bertie, finding a place for them somehow. But perhaps the little girl and her companion would be outside in the garden. As Nona went down the path between the vegetables, she had the impression that there were figures near the dovecote, a little hidden from observation. Within a few yards of them, she stopped, and to her own annoyance, uttered a slight exclamation. Barbara Thornton and Lieutenant Kelly were deep in some kind of intimate conversation. Nona saw that Barbara flushed with anger on recognizing her. There was in her manner almost a suggestion that she believed Nona had purposely come to spy upon her. But Lieutenant Kelly came forward immediately. Nona thought he looked tired and a good deal older since his arrival in France. But then she knew how hard the younger American officers were working with the idea of being able to assist in the training of the new troops when they arrived. Is there anyone you wish or anything I can do for you? He asked with his usual courtesy. Nona shook her head. I'm sorry to have interrupted you. I was merely looking for Madame Bonnet. A little French girl is here with whom I wish to see. You mean Jeannie? Lieutenant Kelly answered. Isn't it strange her coming here to our camp? I saw the little girl with the French soldier only yesterday and recalled our having seen her at the railroad station that day on our way to camp. But you are not interrupting us, or at least Mrs. Thornton and I were having a conversation which could bear being interrupted. Barbara had come forward by this time looking ashamed of her lack of self-control, 
although her face was still a little flushed. Don't be absurd, Nona, she exclaimed. I was talking to Lieutenant Kelly on business. But what is this about a little French girl? Nona explained to Barbara linked her arm in hers, almost equally surprised and interested. Queer that we should have remembered the child and her soldier so well. But no, it's not queer. One could scarcely have forgotten such a companionship. May I come with you? So Nona and Barbara started toward Madame Bonnet's tiny house, leaving Lieutenant Kelly talking to Duke and trying to make friends with him. The great dog was friendly enough, but not disposed towards intimacies. Just outside the door, the two girls stopped. Someone was about to open it, having just heard their approach. The next moment, Jeanie stepped out, leading her friend as she always did. But at the sight of Barbara and Nona, she left him standing a moment alone and came forward, giving her hand to Nona but fixing her eyes upon Barbara Thornton. It was you who told me to do my best to help my captain find his friends. I did not forget. When we could manage, we slipped away from our convalescent hospital without saying goodbye, as we would have been forbidden to leave. Since then we have traveled many miles, yet nothing has come of it. She gave a tiny shrug of her childish shoulders half as an expression of philosophy, half as an acknowledgment of defeat. But isn't the captain himself better? Nona inquired, although convinced beforehand of the truth. The French soldier, whom as an act of courtesy both to him and his guardian, everyone spoke of as captain, remained in the same spot Jeanie had placed him, his head hanging down and with a great bandage tied over the upper part of his face. As a matter of fact, he was thinner and more shrunken and vaguer than before he and Jeanie had started upon their pilgrimage. But they had walked so far, reached so many strange places, and so many questions had been asked of him, impossible for him to answer. More than ever was the French soldier dependent on the touch of Jeanie's little hand. And she, for the moment, had deserted him. Then for a brief time, Nona and Barbara and Lieutenant Kelly were overcome with surprise and consternation. It chanced that Jeanie did not notice at once, or she might never have allowed the thing to take place. Lieutenant Kelly had remained where he was in the lower part of the garden, allowing Barbara and Nona to have their meeting with Jeanie undisturbed. As a precaution, he had placed his hand on Duke's collar, thinking perhaps the dog might frighten the little girl, or more likely, since it was difficult to associate timidity with Jeanie, that he might startle her companion. Suddenly, when he was not anticipating any action on Duke's part, the dog had looked at him with an expression which was imploring and at the same time savage. Afterwards, he had broken away and with a few leaps had crossed the small space of the garden, making directly for the injured soldier. The situation seemed incredible. Duke had never deliberately attacked any human being before. Now to attack a defenseless man? Hugh Kelly ran a few steps, drawing his pistol. He would not hurt the dog seriously if it were possible to avoid, but Jeanie's friend must be protected. However, the great dog did not throw the soldier down as they had all expected. As he reached him, he stopped short, looked at him closely, and then with indescribable gentleness and affection began licking his hand, pressing his great silver-gray body as close as possible to the emaciated figure without disturbing him. And the French soldier did not seem frightened. Gropingly, it is true. Nevertheless, he reached down and laid his hand on Duke's head. An instant before Jeanie had witnessed the meeting, but seeing that the dog did not intend to hurt her friend, she had remained still. Now she turned to Nona and Barbara, her eyes filled with tears. 
My captain has found someone who knows him, she remarked quietly. Then she went over and took the French soldier's disengaged hand. Jeannie, he whispered. Are we mad, Nona? I think perhaps I am, Barbara murmured, her face suddenly having grown white and her voice shaking. Nona shook her head. Barbara, if what we think is true, would it not be better never to have found out? Besides, you did not recognize him, nor did I. Can Duke have been wiser? Barbara was crying. Of course Duke has senses we do not possess. Besides, we were only his friends, and Duke loved him. I thought there was something familiar in the figure. No, I did not. There was never any human being so changed. Poor Eugenia, I can't bear it. Lieutenant Kelly was now standing nearby, looking extremely unhappy over Barbara's distress and extremely puzzled. We think perhaps Jeannie's friend is someone we know, Nona tried to explain, only we cannot really believe it, and there seems no way of finding out without great difficulty and sorrow. Whoever he may be, Duke knows his master, Hugh Kelly answered in a tone of entire conviction. I believe in all the cases of this kind of which one has ever heard, there has never been a mistake. Jeannie, why does our captain always wear that bandage over his face? Is it that he's blind, or has he some wound there? Please don't think I ask from curiosity, but unless one can see him... Jeannie whispered something, and the French soldier immediately bent his head. Slowly, Jeannie unwound the bandage. He can see a little, my captain, Jeannie answered proudly. Only the surgeons have thought it best that he rest his eyes for a time until his sight comes slowly back. Please look and decide, Nona dear. I don't dare, Barbara whispered. However, she did look, of course, and both she and Nona recognized in Jeannie's soldier Eugenia's husband, Captain Henry Castain. And yet he was so changed, it was not strange that they had not recognized him in their chance meetings before today. The Captain Castain, whom they had remembered, the friend, who had said farewell to them at the little house with the blue front door, which was part of his own estate, had been young and gallant. He had borne himself with a fine soldierly erectness that had been full of gaiety and good humor and charm, and one's ideal of a French soldier and lover, for he and Eugenia had been married only lately. Now he was Jeannie's friend, but the pathos of him was beyond expression. Not in death, but in life, one measures the tragedies of war. However, the eyes, the shape of the head, even the figure itself, left no chance for doubting in either Nona's or Barbara's consciousness, much as they would have preferred to doubt. You know, Madame Constain, Lieutenant Kelly, Nona said as soon as she could speak. Her husband, Captain Castain, has been reported as among the missing for a good many months. We believe Jeannie's friend is Captain Castain. It may even be that Jeannie's name made some slight impression upon Miss Memory, for Jeannie's the name by which Captain Castain always called his wife, but we don't know what to do. I don't feel we ought to tell you, Gina. At least, I know I never can, Barbara interrupted. But we must, Barbara. We have no right to hide such a discovery, Nona argued. Still, I do not think I can be the one to go to you, Gina, first. Oh, I did not dream I was such a coward. But at this moment, another figure came walking toward them, with a great bowl in her arms and an expression of ever-triumphant courage on her smooth, fine face. It was Madame Bonnet on the way to feed her carrier pigeons. We must ask Madame Bonnet what to do, 
she will be able to tell us, Nona exclaimed and went forward with her story. End of chapter 13